Hi, you're listening to Designing Yourself. This is Paul McAleer. And this is Whitney Hess. On this episode, we talk about anxiety and how to overcome it to do what you love. Paul and I discuss this topic and try to figure out the difference between anxiety and fear. Then we're joined by the lovely Roz Duffy, a creative facilitator, UX designer and researcher, and community catalyst working behind the scenes to bring amazing people together. We'll talk with Roz about how the creative process can be used to get past whatever's holding us back and help us create work that expresses who we are and inspires our communities. That's all coming up on this episode of Designing Yourself. Stay tuned. So I was looking at the transcript of our second episode and I realized something about it. I think that I was actually anxious and not fearful about things that I mentioned in that episode. Really? Uh So you, in going back over it, recognize that you actually had a different emotion than the one we were talking about? I think so. Because I know that one of the big things I wanted to do was talk about fear with you because I love the topic and I like exploring it a lot. And then a few weeks ago, there was an episode of Back to Work with Merlin Mann that talked specifically about anxiety and it changed my perspective on it. And the reason is it was a very, very nice discussion on, amongst other things, the difference between fear and anxiety. And that was something that I really hadn't thought about much, honestly. I didn't, I don't know if I knew that there was a difference actually. Tell me all about it. What's the difference between fear and anxiety? Well, the way that I understand it now is that fear is something that is provoked by some sort of stimulus. So if I am walking down the street and a lion jumps out in front of me and roars at me, I'll probably be pretty scared, but I'll probably be fearful (laughs) more than anything else, right? And anxiety is more about this whole idea of anticipating this stimulus happening, even though it's not actually there. So kind of imagining it. And that was, that was a lot of the stuff that I was talking about in that episode. I was talking about losing sleep over things at my work. I was talking about how, um, I had imagined the way some things would go down some conversations at work at the time. Um, there was definitely overlap with fear, but I really now think that a lot of my stuff was actually anxiety. That's interesting because I don't know that I've ever really differentiated between the two. Whenever I think of fear, it's about an anxiety of something in the future. Fear is totally future-based. It's like, Hmm. I fear like, I fear that my plane is going to go down when it's turbulent. I fear that, um, you know, I'm going to not get that gig that I really want. Is that anxiety? I am not sure, but I think that 
like in the case of an, an airplane and turbulence, which is a great topic to talk about. Uh, I, I would almost classify that more as fear because something is happening in that moment to make you afraid, right? Something, you know, there, there's uh, there's a little drop in, in, you know, the airplane and where it's going and that causes you to feel fear because there's that moment where you're like, oh, wow, hey, I'm in an airplane and I'm above the earth right now. It kind of takes you out of that moment and, and at least for me, makes me feel just kind of scared for a moment. And then I generally come back. But the future stuff seems to seems to be more aligned with anxiety than fear. Now, that's that's how I'm classifying it. But I don't know necessarily if that gains me anything by knowing there's a difference yet. Well, I have definitely grappled with anxiety for as long as I can remember. And at least that's what other people labeled it. But I felt like it had it, it, it had its triggers. It had, um, you know, as you're saying, the difference between fear and anxiety, fear being something that's immediately causing it. Um, am I understanding correctly? There, yes, there is a present trigger with fear. And anxiety, it's not here now, but it might be in the future. See, what's interesting is because I have been told by people in the past that the difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack is that a panic attack has no external trigger whatsoever. It's just like you're sitting there watching a movie or you're in a meeting or you're driving to work and suddenly you're overcome, but there's nothing of particular happening around you that causes or triggers that moment. And that's a panic attack. Whereas an anxiety attack is when it's caused by something around you, like your body is very astutely responding to a negative stimulus. Like you're in a situation with a person you shouldn't be in, or you recognize that you're, um, you know, reinforcing old habits that you don't want or something of that nature where, it's like, yeah, good job, body, for responding this way. Let me pay attention and get the heck out of this situation. So is that not anxiety then? Is that something else Is if there is, in fact, that trigger? It sounds a little like fight or flight in a way, a little bit. But I'm wondering if fear is more about an isolated incident and anxiety is more perpetual. Hmm. Is 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 it possible to just have a moment of fear? Well, I think everybody would agree, yes. Um, it's also possible to just be anxious over one thing, I suppose, too. So maybe there's an even finer difference, and we're going to split hairs on this first before we really talk about it, in that you can be anxious over something, uh, and you can have anxiety as kind of a, a present thing over a period of time. And if it's there for a long time, that may be that may be something that needs to be addressed in, in a greater way, but you can be anxious over something. And, and I'm wondering as well, if it's not necessarily about negativity because the anxiety could be something positive, right? You could have positive anxiety about something. Like I could be really anxious about uh, going to bed tonight because I got a new pillow 
Um, I could, which <laughs> frankly, is that anxious or excited? Well, it, <laughs> it may be a little of both. I'm anxious to get, to get to bed, to try my new pillow. And I'm also excited about it. Uh, and I really do actually need a new pillow by the way. So, um, <laughs> that'll be a new segment on, on the show. Um, we'll talk about pillows. Well, we just got new pillows. So if you need any oh, pillow recommendations, I'm a side sleeper and I can't find anything that's, that's firm enough to support my neck. <laughs> yeah, I'm a side sleeper too. We got our <laughs> right pillows on. from IKEA, oh, so Ikea. check. Oh. We can we can talk about that after the okay, show. Okay, that's a fine idea. <laughs> but I think. But that, what's interesting is you're talking about anxiety not being negative, and I don't know about that. I mean, I, I don't think I would be anxious to check out my pillows <laughs> unless I was worried that my pillows were not going to fit. We're not going to be right for me. I think that anxiety is kind of by definition, worry or unease or a feeling of something not going Mm. the way you hoped, um, or a dread that it's going to go a bad way. Whereas excitement is a belief that it's going to go a good way and that you're looking forward to it and it's positive. Anxiety can it be positive? If I look back at and think about really not just look back at those things that I was thinking were fear, but align more with anxiety. Well, they're all pretty negative things. They're not. What were some of them? Well, one of them was losing sleep over a change at work that happened that ultimately was a restructuring. And I had a feeling it was going to happen. I had a, you know, had a feeling it was going to happen. And then my, my brain kind of kept me awake all night because I was going down every possibility and, you know, kind of planning out what would be said and how it would go down in the person's office and how, where I would be sitting in the office and kind of all of those factors. And at the time I had equated it to mapping out just about every user flow for something that one could, but these were all negative things. I, it was kind of presumed in my head that everything would be negative no matter what. So that was a good start. And I say that in jest, but you know, it was, it was an assumption really that, that I had in it. So that's all negative stuff for sure. And another incident with work was that I needed to talk with somebody about how his team's interactions were happening with my team and how kind of terrible they were and I had envisioned a certain way and became a little anxious about it, but then had confidence to kind of overcome that. And then I went down to talk to the guy and it wasn't, he wasn't in his office as I had thought. And for a moment I stalled and went in the kitchen and got a cup of water and things like that. And, and I had to bring myself back in the moment, but that almost feels more like fear to me because I was presented with him, not in this planned environment. <laughs> like, like I had, you know, imagine it as, you know, we cut to the scene and we're in his office and, you know, we talk back and forth and it gets kind of heated, but not too bad. And, and that wasn't the reality at all. So the fear of what was actually happening uh, in that moment just drove me to, to, you know, say, well, I got to I got to take a minute and compose myself and get out of it. Those things are both relatively negative, right? And the fear and the anxiety in those moments were not the emotions that really necessarily directly helped me through. They helped me process what was happening, but they also didn't necessarily lead the way. Um, Now, the pillow example is a pretty 
intentionally silly one because I want to think about something that I would think would be pretty positive, frankly. I mean, I really like new pillows. That's exciting to me. But there would also possibly be anxiety. And I'm just wondering if it, if it can ever be positive. I, I, I'm, I threw that out there and I'm not sure if I fully support it, but just as an idea. And I wonder if part of it is just that the positive stuff around anxiety can already be covered by other emotions pretty well, like excitement and optimism and joy, for instance, because those things don't live in the, they don't have to live in the present. They certainly can, but anxiety singularly feels like it's about the future. And I, I'm wondering oh, if that's yeah. the uniqueness of it. I definitely feel like anxiety is either about the present tense or the future. Maybe fear is more future mm. and anxiety <laughs> is, you know, closer future, more present. Because I can't think of an example of anxiety about something positive, like something that's inherently positive, like getting a comfy new pillow. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely see how anxiety can be a positive, how it can be helpful in your life. And I was trying to describe that earlier, though, very poorly. When I have experienced anxiety in my past, like even when I've had a full-on anxiety attack, at first, they were very confusing to me because I was like, what is my body doing? Why am I shaking? Why do I have sweaty palms? Like, it's the fight or flight response for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. But then I came to realize that my body is actually really awesome um, and it's intended, designed. I worry about using the word design um, when we talk about the body, but it, it has adapted to react in this way to certain stimuli. And so I actually think that if you're able to recognize when you are feeling anxious, whether it's a full-blown anxiety attack or whether it's just something stirring inside of you, to use that to evaluate your immediate environment, to evaluate the situation you're in, and perhaps realize that it's a situation you need to get yourself out of. Because sometimes our body has intelligences that our mind doesn't. Like we're so steadfast to achieve something or to be a certain way in our mind and our thoughts are doing one thing, but then our body's receptors are picking up on something not cool in the situation where we're like, okay, this does not make me feel good. My body is not responding well to this. Something must be going on that my mind isn't attuned to at this moment because my head's somewhere else. I've got to listen to my body. I've got to recognize that anxiety is coursing through me and get myself out of the situation. In that case, I see anxiety as having the potential to be a really good thing, but that's still a negative situation, or at least on the negative end of the spectrum. I don't know that we could be so binary about positive and negative, but a anxiety around something that's inherently positive or that you feel good about, I don't know. I think that it's kind of, by definition, an unease. And when you describe the situation with the guy that you were needing to talk to and he's not where you expected him to be, I kind of classify that 
also as anxiety, that your anxiety was ratcheted up because you had a game plan and you went to execute on it, but he's not there. And so now it's like, ooh, wait a minute, this, now I'm uneasy again. I'm uneasy because I didn't expect this and I have to figure my way through the situation again. Whereas fear maybe is more like the threat of eminent danger, like the plane is going to drop. It's it's dropping and I think we're going to die. Maybe that's fear. Like I have a fear of flying or I have a fear of death or I have a fear of turbulence or whatever. It's It's like a threat or a danger or something like going to attack. Whereas like you didn't really think that that guy was going to physically attack you or like physically harm you in some way or even emotionally harm you in some way. You just really weren't looking forward to it. Yeah. I didn't think he was going to, you know, lash out at me physically or anything like that. Thank goodness for that. Because (laughs) that would be a hostile work environment. When, when you were talking about all of that, the thing that I kept hearing was that it sounds a lot like anxiety and less like fear because there was no direct threat in those moments. Really? Um, I was, I was on the second floor of an office building. I was in no physical danger at all to the best of my knowledge in those moments. So that was kind of, uh, not present. It didn't need to be present, but anxiety was there. I was very anxious and it's not something that maybe should be binary, but the experience of feeling anxiety for me is a pretty darn negative one. The other, I mean, the the other, (laughs) the other thing that of course I have to bring up is public speaking because we both do it uh, and we have done it. And there's a difference between doing client presentations, for instance, and speaking in front of an audience of peers or, or equals or, or heroes or mentors or any, any group like that. There's a difference to me at least. And I don't know if there is for you, but Oh, well, there's a big difference between a conference room and a stage. Oh, sure. Yeah. And and that that's exactly right. I mean, I uh I I don't know if you've talked at, you know, you've talked at IA Summit, which is a that's a that's a big audience. And you know, I'm I'm talking to people uh, in in a, about a week and a half here. I'm going to be an audience of like 100 150, which is one That's still a lot which of is people. It's a pretty big audience, and it's one of the bigger ones that I've spoken for. And Around that, I have felt anxious and I also acknowledge that I will feel anxiety around it. I don't really feel fear around it. I'm not afraid of it. I know my material. I know my speech. I know what I'm going to say. I'll see the space so I won't have any fear around that, but I'm still going to feel anxious before I go on stage and talk like I'm, it's just going to happen. And I acknowledge that. And there's nothing I could say there's nothing I could do about that. I could try to blot it out and ignore that it's going to happen. Or, you know, maybe I'll get to a point someday where it doesn't happen, but I'm not there now. And so I kind of prep myself in that way. Like if I know I'm going to be anxious in a situation, then that's actually empowering for me. That That's a little bit of awareness because then, yes, I know I'm going to get butterflies. And that means like the first 30 seconds of my talk, I'm going to be super fast on talking. Because my my voice will just go super duper fast and I will not, you know, be able to catch my breath for a few moments and I will shake a little bit 
that's going to happen. Even thinking about it right now is actually making me shake a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it happens, well, it will happen. So I need to take the attitude of it's going to happen. And then on the other side of that, what's going to happen after that, really, and getting past it and saying that, yep, that that's all going to happen. I'm going to survive it because it's not going to last long. Maybe it will, but I'm going to give a good talk. And that's the attitude that I'm, I'm taking into that is that anxiety will be there and knowing it will be there versus just kind of, you know, letting it kind of surprise me as well. It's like planning for it. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's absolutely normal. First of all, I think that it shows how much you care about your message and care about the audience that you're giving it to and respect them, care what they think. And I think those are all wonderful things to have as you're going into a speaking engagement. If you had no anxiety and no unease, maybe you just didn't care at all. You were complacent. You probably wouldn't give a very good presentation. Mm -hmm. So I think to have that anxiety, to kind of prep for it and know that it's going to be there, but recognize that it will serve you well, that it, that you can turn those butterflies into excitement and be joyful and joyous when you're on that stage and have that come through. That's all awesome. Um, I think there's a really big difference between being anxious for a moment that is in the future or experiencing it in the moment versus having anxiety almost all the time, Mm -hmm. like suffering from anxiety where that state of unease, that state of emotional threat is there constantly. Like it's almost the, the din or the the background noise to your whole life. And it comes and goes with varying degree, you know, in varying degrees, depending upon the situations that you're in perhaps, or a variety of factors, but having it once in a while and being able to recognize what's causing it and that this is in fact a good thing and I'm going to use it to my advantage and I'm going to harness that energy because anxiety really is that buildup of energy in some way and I'm going to turn it from a negative energy into a positive energy. That's a beautiful thing. It's amazing when we can do that. But a lot of times anxiety, especially when it's long-term and when it's it, it's beyond the realm of knowing what the stimulus is, mm-hmm. I think it can be debilitating and it can absolutely get in people's ways. And it's a lot harder to recognize it as being this, you know, great bodily reaction, like a really smart mechanism that we have as human beings to help us. And instead it's like, why, 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 why do I have this? I'm in a situation where I shouldn't feel anxious. I'm in a situation where I'm safe and I just want to enjoy it. And that, that anxiety can totally get in the way. But something you said earlier made me realize that I think I have a take on the difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is a, a physical threat. 
You said something and it made so much sense to me. Okay. Fear is a physical threat. Anxiety is an emotional threat. Ooh, I don't know if I said that exactly, but I will take credit for it. Yeah, I, that's what I heard. So fear is like the plane's going to crash. The spider's going to bite me. The uh, the wave is going to take me under. I'm going to drown. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of phobias, I guess. And that's fear, being afraid of the ocean, being afraid of planes, being afraid of spiders. It's a physical threat. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is an emotional threat. Like, I'm feeling unease. I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling nervous about putting myself into a situation that's going to cause me emotional distress. And I think there's what I was referring to a minute ago about the difference between, like, being anxious about an event coming up and it being kind of a normal, I hate that word, Mm. but I'm going to use it anyway. I put heavy quotes around it normal level of anxiety, like pretty much everyone gets anxious before public speaking, um, versus a hyper anxiety, which exists kind of more constantly is in the background of everything you do. That to me happens when, and I've experienced it. So I can only speak from personal experience that when that feeling of emotional threat goes to a place where you think you're going to be physically harmed. I I can't say it right, but you know that it's happening to you emotionally, but it's so overwhelming that you feel like there is a physical threat when there is clearly not one. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that maybe that's what you were getting at um, with the definition with Marlon Mann, that with fear, there is a very clear physical threat. Like the planes could go down. Like, yeah, that's pretty clear cut. But with anxiety, it can be this emotional disturbance that gets to such an extent that you can be convinced that there will be physical harm caused to you, like that your own insides are wired incorrectly and you're going to cause yourself a heart attack or that, you know, um, physical harm is going to come to you even when there's no obvious threat of that. There's no likelihood of that happening. Like when you get up on stage to speak at a conference, there's no likelihood that you're going to be physically harmed. But in a hyper level of anxiety might cause someone to believe that, that, that there is a physical threat. Yeah, and they can go hand in hand with each other. You can be anxious about fear, for instance. And one thing I'm wondering about with the public speaking angle is, is, is it really both anxiety and fear that most people have? Because yes, there's the the anxiety part and yes, nobody hopefully is going to harm you physically when you are speaking in public, but there is a very physical component to public speaking as well. It's not something that's just over a conference call, although that might be one thing and not to diminish that people might have fear around that. But in the cases that I'm thinking about, it is in front of an audience and there's a physical presence there as well, yours and theirs, right? So that interaction is happening and thus I'm wondering if it is both or could be both. Yeah, I totally see that. I totally see that, that you are making yourself physically vulnerable in some way. 
And so um, that fear could be associated with that. But now that I just said that word vulnerable, I'm reminded of one of our last episodes on season one where we talk about vulnerability. Is anxiety and vulnerability, are those two things related? I think they can definitely be. And maybe they're very close after all, because the way I see anxiety has to do with generally somebody finding something out about me or me being exposed in a way that I would otherwise not choose to be exposed. Does that make sense? Because I said it and it made sense in my head. (laughs) <laughs> and then I said out loud. It, do, it does kind okay. of, but now I wonder how distinct that is from vulnerability because being mm. vulnerable means being open and exposed and potentially able to be harmed. And mm. I would imagine that the fear of vulnerability is it in and of itself anxiety. See, but I can see... I can see the the idea of bravery and confidence being a lot closer to vulnerability than I can anxiety. Not to say that again, everything is binary, but that's I can, I can see those those going hand in hand a lot closer because you can be vulnerable and brave. In fact, by being vulnerable, you know. But I don't know if there's the same idea around anxiety. I don't, I, well, it seems like to be, it, it seems to be a thing to pass through and work through and not necessarily stay in because you can stay in vulnerability and be brave about it. I think. I'm going to be my English major self for just a minute. Since we are talking about distinctions here and distinctions between the definitions for each of these words And you're using the word bravery now. And to me, bravery means physical Mm. strength. And I, when I think of kind of emotional strength, I use the word courage. Uh. And so now I'm wondering if bravery and courage go hand in hand the way fear and anxiety do. Oh, that's a nice connection. I, I don't, it's funny because I don't associate those with, physicality kind of at all i see them as very close to each other honestly what's the difference between bravery and courage Uh, i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i i don't know the answer either i just know that i have a distinction in my mind Mm, i feel they're pretty interchangeable i i i like the sound of the word courage a little more and i like the idea of being courageous more than being brave in some cases but i can see how you could align those with with physical and and other, other areas of the self versus, you know, just kind of using them synonymously, but I tend to use them synonymously. And I, but when I choose, I, I, you know, when I choose, I choose courage. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that we use fear and anxiety interchangeably as well. I mean, that's essentially what you said when you were looking at our episode two of season one transcript that you realized that a lot of the things that you were describing as being fears were perhaps actually anxieties. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So, so it's not, maybe all of this doesn't matter and they're interchangeable. Well, I think part of it is, is yeah, I'm one, I wonder that too. Right. I wonder if it is that it's, it's a matter of understanding the words, but I want to grasp on the words in part because 
I think that we could employ different tactics to deal with them, right? So for me, it comes down to, okay, if they're, if we get that finer understanding of ourselves and what these nuances are between these emotions, which, you know, at this point, these are fairly nuanced things, I would say, bravery and courage and, and fear and anxiety. We might choose different ways to address them and or work with them. Hmm. That's my response. You sound, hmm. you sound thoroughly unconvinced. I just, <laughs> I, I, I struggle with it because I feel like definitions, the definition conversation is helpful to an extent mm-hmm. when it allows us to create a distinction that helps us see the edges of something that we otherwise didn't see before that gives it a better definition. And I use that word not to mean dictionary dictionary definition, but actually like a physical definition or a shape so that we can use it to describe with greater accuracy what we are experiencing and what others experience. But to the extent that the conversation just becomes kind of rhetorical, that's where I start to struggle a little bit. I understand. And I, I think part of part of my brain really likes to think about that stuff because, hey, I, I've I've worked in IAA and I care about words and I know you do, too. But I also find it a little more useful for me to separate out the two ever so slightly, because if I if I use that as a guide, then that gives me a very different perspective on how I was feeling in those moments and also how I, you know, how I operated before those moments and looking at patterns in my life and all those good things too, because that doesn't necessarily mean I just reclassify things that I once thought as fear as anxiety. But again, it's, it's for me, it's about understanding that nuance and, and what the difference is. And what I've mostly settled on is the whole, you know, stimulus, not stimulus, future, past thing or <laughs> present as well. Um, and kind of separating them out there. Uh, and for me, that means that, you know, when I think about these emotions and feel them, that I've got new words to try out and see if they fit better. And I might change my mind in the future. Uh, but for now, I'm finding that having having a little bit of room between those two has been pretty useful for me. Yeah, and I I still, I get the distinction between fear and anxiety being fear is you know, caused by a trigger, anxiety isn't. But I don't know that I want to subscribe to that definition. And for now, though, perhaps this will change in future conversations. I think I feel good um, with fear being something of a physical threat mm-hmm. And anxiety being something of an emotional threat. And I do see a relationship to bravery and courage because courage is this thing of like of the heart. Mm-hmm. Cur in French is heart. Mm-hmm. And bravery is like bravado or like brutality, like physical strength. Mm-hmm. So Maybe that definite, maybe our definitions aren't that different from each other and it's just semantics. And the one that, the one that you're using from Merlin Mann's podcast 
is that fear has a an immediate eminent danger whereas anxiety is a an underlying um, emotional experience that is present perhaps due to some uh, life events, but it doesn't really need a stimulus in order to be there. I like that idea too. I really do. Well, we came to somewhere in the middle, I guess. Yeah, there's always a middle way. So... But thanks for talking with me about this stuff. This has been great. And I don't, I can say confidently that I don't feel anxious about it anymore. Well, I had a little bit of anxiety going into it because talking about anxiety can be anxiety provoking. And I wasn't particularly interested in feeling anxious, but I I think we got there and we were able to distance ourselves from it quite a bit. I agree. Well, thanks. Thank you. Roz Duffy is a user experience strategist and researcher. Translation, she loves creating great experiences for humans of all kinds. You'll often find her bringing meetings to life with design activities or organizing events and conversations around empowering change and thinking creatively. When not trying to understand the way people interact with the world around them, Roz can be found sipping soy lattes running or writing in her journal. Roz, welcome to Designing Yourself. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, we're glad to have you here for sure. So glad you're here, Roz. Yeah. So I want to start with something that uh, you say, and it's a very simple phrase. And I want to know more about it. Uh, you say, do what scares you. Mm. I'm wondering why you consider that such important advice. Well, I think uh, that is something that has been inspiring me lately because I feel like I've been maybe playing on the safe side of things. And when I look back and think about any of the times that something was really scary to me and I wasn't sure if I should be doing it, that was exactly what I should be doing. And I got so much out of it. And it wasn't always something easy. There was always a point that I came to where I started freaking out or crying or, let's be honest, calling my mom. But in the end, in the end, what did I learn? Like that I could survive, that I could adapt, that it was, you know, I needed to learn that lesson and it really wasn't as scary as I thought. So what do you think kind of leads up to that scary feeling? I think it's about fear of failure or of not being good enough or having anxiety or just being worried that you, you won't come out on the other side or that people won't appreciate you or, any number of things. There's so many different directions it can go depending on what it is. So what what is it that typically scares you then so we can be a bit more concrete about this? I think that um, putting myself out there and, and creating, like the creative act scares me. And you're catching me in a moment where I am just trying to stare down that creative act with just simple routine, just creating space and just giving a little bit of time to it every day. And I feel like that, that's that been really liberating. And I feel like a lot of experiences, you build them up in your mind, but if you break them down into some kind of a, a daily thing that you contribute to, then it's really not that scary. Wow. So 
essentially the things that tend to get in your way, it sounds like, are when you are producing something, creating something that's meaningful to you, where mm-hmm. not not so much, you know, um, like standing in front of an audience, like what scares a lot of people, but it sounds like what you describe as that creative act. And so I'm wondering what some of those things are that you're in the process of creating to whatever extent you can share with us mm-hmm. yeah. um, that, that bring up those feelings. Well, you know, it's really funny. I, I'm employed full time now, but I used to be a freelancer. And during the time I was a freelancer, I never had a portfolio online. I never even had a page that said what I did anywhere, <laughs> except for maybe, oh, wow. except for maybe LinkedIn. And, and I don't have that now, but i I'm working on it. Like I, I'm trying to say, Hey, this, this is what I do. These are my interests. And this is how we might be able to collaborate on a project together. But it's amazing that it, it's almost like I, I haven't even like hung out my sign. Like I haven't even done that. Hmm. That's really interesting. So how did that, so how did that feel? How did you, how did you end up noticing, how'd you end up noticing that and kind of working with that? Right now, what I'm doing is actually just trying to open myself up to other people. So by doing that, it's, it could be having a one-on-one conversation. Um, it could be having a group conversation. Uh, I, I facilitate some groups about conversation because you know, part of my personality is a behind the scenes person who likes to create and set up environments for other people to succeed. And I used to call myself almost like a platform creator because I used to organize a lot of conference type of events. And um, I was very interested in, in creating a space where like someone who had a great idea or was working on a project could get their idea to a wider audience. Like nothing was more thrilling to me. But in that process, I also learned like, oh, I really love doing this and I have a lot to say. And as it turns out, I have a lot to say about the creative process and about about going for things and doing the things that scare you. And then it became this sort of ironic thing that I wasn't doing the things that scared me. So recently Mm. I, I applied to something that is, let's call it something that scares me, but it's, it's an opportunity for me to put myself in a, in a position that is not comfortable. It is definitely not comfortable. It is something that I know that I walk around and say, that's, that's something that other people do. That's not what I do. But then I thought like, well, why not? Why isn't that something that I do? And why isn't that something that I could work towards and I could practice and I could open up to other people and, and learn from how that their experience was or make myself vulnerable and just realize, like, look at that fear in the face and say, I see you, but you do not own me. You just don't. Wow. I'm, mm. I, I really love the way that you're talking about this because it makes me feel as if and probably something I always knew that anxiety is this thing that closes you off from other people and maybe even from yourself mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And when you learn how to overcome it 
through sheer force of will or through various practices or, you know, techniques that that can then open you up. And when you open yourself up, you are able to see what you're really made of and you're able to actually fulfill upon the things that are of such interest to you. And I mean, that you're so passionate about and I can hear then your voice. So you mentioned earlier this finding this routine and giving yourself these kind of time constraints to say, okay, this is when I was, this is when I'm going to create. How did you develop this technique? And are there other techniques that you use to let that anxiety ease so that you can open yourself up to creating? Well, I think for me, um, it's about knowing the time of day that is almost like a sacred time of day. And for me, that's morning. And I think that I would venture to say that for a lot of people it's morning, but I know that some people are night owls too. But I think when I wake up in the morning, I don't have that much on my mind. I just woke up from a restful sleep. Let's hope it was restful, but I, (laughs) there's, there's not a day's worth of things and stuff weighing me down. And I can't help but tie the creative act um, to like the act of moving your body and fitness. And, and that's a huge metaphor for the way that you approach life and the way, think about things that you carry around that you can release. I mean, it's a complete like biological metaphor to creativity, but I used to live in New York and I had this job that was really stressful because that's the deal. (laughs) And it was just, you know, my head would, by the end of the day, I would just be like, oh, this is awful. And what I would do at the end of the day actually was go to yoga class because it was two blocks away from my office. And this particular yoga studio, the classes were um, almost two hours long. So it was like pretty big time investment too. But that to me was a really good way to melt away. It was almost like literally at the beginning of practice, the way you start, you're pretty much like dumping out your head. I mean, that's what you do. And by the end, you have just like burned everything away. And then you lie on the floor like a puddle, like you're done. (laughs) And that was, that is how you have to, that's how you get by in New York. But eventually (laughs) I left New York and, um, you know, that whole going to the gym or doing whatever at the end of the day, I just was like, I can't, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm self-conscious, I have all these reasons why I can't go and I'm not going to go. So then I reasoned with myself and I thought like, well, you have to do this because it's, you have to like, you have to move, you have to shake things up. So in the morning, there is nothing in my head, there's nothing holding me back, there's nothing like I didn't have a stressful day at work or anything like that. So it's, it's a critical part to just make the space, put the clothes out, have a plan, go do it. And then like through that movement, I feel like it starts to wake up my brain. It's like a little warm up for my brain. And what I try to do now, um, that's really important. This isn't even a creative act. that's about, Hey, read my blog post or look at my (laughs) awesome, like design thing that I did. It's just, it's me and my journal. And that's why it's even in my bio right now. Cause it's just like journal writing has just become such an important component to creating that creative space because it's just thoughts and no one is reading them, but me, it is moving a pen on paper. And I mean, 
most of us are sitting in front of a computer all day and we're like, it's a, a light shining back at us and our eyes are squinting and we're sitting on our butts (laughs) and like, it's Mm -hmm. just so it's not normal, but it is the new normal. But when I'm writing in my journal, it's like, how long have people been using pens and paper? And I mean, a while. <laughs> at, least, at least 10 years. At least. I, <laughs> I know. But that feeling, I love, I love that like connection. I mean, the, I mean, I'm kind of going off here, but if you think about writing, I mean, it's, it's movement and it's, you're literally taking thoughts in your head and you're, you're making them into something else. You're making them into letters and sentences and everything like that. But that, it's just so calming and it's just a release. And depending on how that goes, like some mornings I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so ready to like write this thought or else I'm just like ready to approach my day because I've just kind of almost had a little conversation with myself and said, okay, all right. You know, and I just feel like it sets, it sets a really good tone for the day. So that, that's like a big part of just you know, making that space and a morning routine is something that, that I can be really consistent with. And I think consistency is one of the biggest keys to, to doing this. I love what you're saying, Roz, about anxiety really being just a collection of thoughts that live nowhere else, but in the mind. Mm -hmm. And there are these exercises that we can do to shuffle around the thoughts that live in there and create space for us to create the magic in our lives, Mm -hmm. to create whatever that is for us. And that can be journaling. It can be yoga. It can be meditation. It could be a million things. And I think that that's so important for all of us to recognize that they're just thoughts and they don't own us. No. No, and I think I'm glad that you brought meditation because I love when I find a blog post, you know, they comes across my feed somewhere where it's just all about how you can't really do meditation wrong. And there's no perfect meditator. There's no person that's their mind is like this vast landscape of of no thoughts whatsoever. I mean, meditation is all about mm-hmm. thoughts happen. Oh, there's that thought. There it is. And then it goes. <laughs> and I think it's important yeah. to find ways to like release those thoughts rather than, than letting them like eat you alive. Because if you let them, they will. But if you learn to look at them and say, I see you, there you are, you are that, it's so much better. Yeah. And that's, uh, for me with meditating too, I can, I can relate to that because it was just very hard at first to not chase down those thoughts. But then as you say, you get to a point where you start to recognize them and see them and let them mm-hmm. kind of pass. And that's a very, that's a very different place to be for mm-hmm. sure. Um, you know, one thing that I wanted to touch on was, uh, with regards to creativity. Um, do you listen to the Alton Brown podcast by chance? I don't, but I've heard okay. that you like it. <laughs> yes, I do. It's on my list of podcasts and I, I happily promote it. Um, cause he's a good interviewer. Um, Alton Brown for people who don't know, uh, used to do a TV show called good eats. Um, he, he was on food network and now he does a podcast and other stuff, but, um, here's where it's relevant. I was re-listening to the episode he did with Alex Cornishelli and she is a chef out of New York 
And it was all about her career and, and how she got to do what she, she's doing. I mean, she's a very successful chef and uh, owns multiple restaurants and is, on iron, is, is an iron chef and, and does all sorts of TV shows and stuff like that. But when he was talking with her, one of the important things to her was to really just go for it. She was talking about this repeatedly when she was talking about, you know, how she wanted to, uh, you know, like open a grocery store. And there were lots of things that she was interested in doing. And she hasn't done that yet, but she wants to just go for it. And when she approaches cooking, she just goes for it. So when it comes to being creative, just going for it is a really simple way of putting it because there's a lot in that. So when I hear you talk about, you know, the creative process and kind of just doing things, what, what all goes into that is what else is there with anxiety, if anything, that you kind of, you know, you, you might bundle up and then have to plow through and to get something done. I think that because again, I'm in this moment of creating and it's a moment and I'm seizing it and I'm, and I'm, I'm creating that moment at the same time. I think, you know, just what you said, like just going for it, but you have to just not really worry what anyone else thinks. And you have to just be authentically yourself and be true and just let the purest expression of yourself come out and create the space for that to happen. And don't judge yourself just right. Just paint, just sing, do whatever it is that you need to do, but just do it. Because as you were talking, I was thinking like, you know, I'm sure there's a really great expression and I don't know right now, but just about (laughs) like, you kind of have to play ball, you know, I mean, you, you can't sit on the sidelines and, and actually I'm a person that's perfectly content being an observer. And I have done that for a lot of my life, but I'm so encouraging to other people that I'm like, wait a minute, like, maybe I need to like cheer myself on a little bit because I want to just make things and do them. And I think it's important to just, um, it's, it's really just about being your true self. And I love hearing about chefs cause I love, I love cooking and, and, and seeing when there's people out there that you feel like they are making art and they love it. They love what they're doing and you can see they're not faking it. It is pure joy. That is so amazing. How could you not want that? <laughs> you can totally tell, too. That's the beautiful part, right? You can tell when people, when they've got it. Yeah. You can totally tell. Yes. I think the quote you were searching for was, um, you miss 100% of the shots you yeah. don't take. <laughs> I think that's it. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, I I really hear just how important the creative community is to you and how important it is to help people cultivate their own creativity and you live it yourself. And I think that's what makes it so powerful for others that you are constantly experimenting on yourself and you're not coming from a place of being, you know, having all the answers necessarily, but you're going through it as well. And I have, you know, you mentioned it, briefly earlier, but I've benefited so much from the communities that you've built throughout your career. And some of them have been public, like Bar Camp Philly, Refresh Philly, and some have been private, like women's support groups that exist solely on Facebook, private groups that no one else can see. 
And I'm, I'm curious, why has community been so important to you throughout your career? That is a really good question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. And, and the story, I'm glad that you brought up Bar Camp because that, that is like a pivotal moment for me. And it's a story that I've told before, but it has to do with that was the moment when I took a different path from being an observer to having a more active role and that and, and creating a platform for platforms for other people to express themselves themselves creatively. The only way that I can really describe it is that it's some kind of calling because that's really how it feels because it is the kind of thing that makes my heart sing and I love seeing people feel good and it's hard for me not to actually like take a leap to cooking again since you brought you went with the cooking thing I have to go there and please do I'm sure like some people know this about me and I do write about it sometimes but I went to culinary school um years ago and I went um I cooked at a yoga retreat center for the summer and one of the things that I had to do every day was make a meal for 75 people. And I was so stressed about it. And that I definitely, that's when I called my mom. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? I'm so afraid. How did I get here? You know, when I was in school, I was, I was with a group of people. I could ask questions. I could mess up. I could stand over a pot and stir it for an hour if I wanted to. And and I could look at the recipe and be like, I am not deviating from that recipe. It has to be perfect. But when you're cooking in a kitchen that has like gas burners just kind of sitting on a table and you have a weird oven and you have like 10 ingredients and you have to cook for 75 people in like two hours, like you have to like learn on the fly basically. And that that is like, that is how you grow as a person when you just have to like do it. There is no, but there is no, I can't, you have to do it. But the reason I come back to that and the, how I can tie it to the community thing is that that is a creative act. I was terrified of it, but you better believe that when I put those dishes out, there was like a buffet, I would stand on the door of the kitchen and I would watch and I'd wonder, I look at people's faces and I, I try to see, are they excited? Does it look nice? Did I plate it, like put it out in a nice way? Is the food colorful? Is it tasty? Is it this? Is it that? And all I wanted was for people to feel nourished and happy and like somebody made something special for them that makes them feel good. And I swear that experience has always stayed with me and it's been a huge part of why I like doing things like creating events and communities because I I love making a lot of people feel good <laughs> so I don't know what that is but it's it's not something I thought I would want to do it just is so I think where I'm going with this and with any creative act is is that you have to you have to put your energy into the things that that you do because you love them, because you lose track of time when you're doing them, because you you literally like feel a sensation of of being filled up with joy because that it's it's possible. If you're not feeling it, you're not doing the right thing. 
And when I say you're not doing the right thing, and you might say, I'm not doing, you're right, I'm not doing the right thing, but I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Don't you think? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. What, what would our industry be if people went to work every day with the intent of nourishing mm-hmm. oh who they gosh. serve? Mm-hmm. Woo! I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, my, my whole life has been set up around trying to figure out what nourishes me and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what nourishes other people. And that's why I was drawn to user experience. And I can see the parallels between what you've been drawn to throughout your life, cooking and yoga and creating community and user experience. I mean, when you put it in those terms of you know, sneaking in a peak to see if, if people were being nourished by your work. I mean, mm-hmm. that's an incredibly powerful image. Yeah. When you're creating, you know, you're basically creating these platforms, as you say, and, and then a community kind of fills in, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and, and sustains itself and grows. How do you see the community and the platform kind of working together to help people overcome anxiety and work with that. How, how, how does that play a role? There was an event that I used to be involved when involved with, and I sort of graduated from it. I moved and and moved on to some other things, but for four years I was involved with an event called bar camp Philly and bar Mm -hmm. bar camp has happened in, in cities all over the world. But what's the most awesome thing about that type of event is the, at least the way that we, produced our event in Philly was that it's a safe space for you to try. It's completely democratic. It is, I have an idea and I'm going to, I'm going to write it on a card and I'm going to put it in a time slot and people are going to come and hear me talk about something that I care about. And there's no, you must fill out this application and submit a list of places where you've spoken and links mm-hmm. to recordings of, of you giving that talk wherever and having a certain amount of credentials. You could be anybody. And that opportunity opened doors for people, you know, and it, it, it helped certain people like learn things about themselves. And it also, you know, it, it, it was fun when people who maybe had more experience were there as well. And, and you, you could say, I spoke at this event that this person that I really admire also spoke at. So it's just like creating an opportunity to try. And, and I loved that. And it's really important to me. Um, as Whitney mentioned, um, there, there are some, some things I, I run online that I don't really talk about because in my mind, they are safe spaces because they're, they're curated in a sense, but I don't feel like, hey, this is my show and I'm running it and I'm doing all the programming. I actually try to create opportunities for people to hold the microphone, essentially. Like, it's your turn because guess what? I don't like holding the microphone. (laughs) I really don't. I like giving it to people and saying, the floor is yours. Like, enlighten us. Like, take us to your world. Like, take us on an adventure. You know, show us something new. I love that. And I love giving that space to people. Like, I love it. So that is so awesome. And one, the, the immediate thing I thought of is how, how do you create, as you put it, the opportunity to try with yourself? 
That is a great question. <laughs> um, well, I think there are certain opportunities that exist out in the world. There's probably a lot that I look at and say, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't have that those credentials. I don't have that experience. But there's certain ones where they make it a point to say, we want you to try, even if you think that you're not up for it. And I think it takes, it takes a really special, and, and special is not even the right word, like a, like a, a centered person to be able to do that. And um, I think that for a lot of people, like if you ever read job postings and they're like, I need a unicorn, ninja, rock star, whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> with a master's degree and like 10 years of experience and you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, something totally insane. But what if they just said, I want someone who wants to learn and is hungry and is creative and does a lot of really cool stuff just because they, they love it, you know, like, wouldn't it be great if that's what the job listing said? But it, you know, life isn't about job listings. Life is literally like you have to just go out there and be who you are and do what you do and find your flow and lose track of time and, and just, just do what makes your heart sing. You just have to, everyone who's listening, you have to go do that. If you're not doing it, go do it. <laughs> Especially if it scares you. Especially. <laughs> and, you, <Yeah. laughs> and you know that, that, I mean, that touches on something that, uh, that you and I had the opportunity to talk about Roz at IA summit. Um, and it was about, uh, it was about the idea of, of being scared to share one's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and just feeling really anxious and nervous about it. And I, I remember, you know, one of the things that, that we, we touched on in this topic was really just feeling like, that my story uh, wasn't really worth sharing in a way Um, and feeling anxious about and nervous more so probably about, about sharing it and saying, well, what can I possibly bring to this conversation? Because people may have heard this thing already. They might already know how to do this, that I'm going to tell them what to do. And, 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 you know, just feeling like it's, it's just kind of redundant. Is that something, first of all, is that, is that anything that, resonates with you at all Uh, and and if so then how do you how do you work with that well I often I I there's so many things that I haven't done because I'm like oh someone else did it I'm not good enough I I, I'm I'm not cool enough or I'm not interesting enough I haven't traveled to enough countries um that's one that comes up um I haven't I haven't done this I don't have a master's degree in that and, um, I haven't lived there and, and you know what I've done what I've done. And I haven't said this expression in a while, but I, I used to think a lot like less than some more than others. I mean, you're always going to be on the spectrum like, of, yeah, maybe you didn't do as much as that person, but you know, like maybe you did more than you thought. Like it's just comparing yourself is just basically a recipe for you to stand still and be in place and and not not do anything that you want to be doing and I think as I get older and as I as I learn from things that I do and don't do um, I think it's really important to have some patience too and um, Mm -hmm. 
the, the idea of daily ritual and daily practice towards where you want to be and where you want to go. Um, I mean, the best metaphor I can give is just the idea of planting a garden. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to, you know, I mean, sometimes there's, there's luck that happens. Preparation meets opportunity, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and maybe there is no luck. I don't know, but I think you have to, if there's something you want to do, you just have to take tiny steps and be okay with that because you can wake up and be like, you know, I feel pretty good. Like I'm doing what I like and it makes me happy and that's good. It doesn't mean like you have to be the most awesome version of every person that ever existed. (laughs) Like the most awesome version of you is is whatever you dream it should be and it could be that you you know have children and you're raising really smart responsible children or it might mean that you work at a place you know where people learn and grow or it might mean that that you do the same thing every day and it, it makes you really happy and it gives you peace like and, and you feel grateful so i think we all put so much pressure on ourselves. And I I think I I see some negative talk online sometimes about doing what you love. And I feel like people might be listening and being like, Oh, she's spouting that do what you love stuff. And I, of course you should do what you love, but I think that you need to do what's right for you and you need to be able Mm -hmm. to feel good about the choices that you're making. And if you feel like I want to do something else, and then you have that, that, that little bit of a nag, like look into it, you know, I mean, explore it. And, and actually you could try it and be like, you know, this isn't for me. It's not what I thought. And that's totally okay too. I feel like life is a series of things that you try and discard, you know, and that's, that's fine. As long as you're not like polluting the earth, (laughs) like try it out, (laughs) like whatever. But, um, yeah, I just think it's important to, to just, to just listen to yourself and like create that, that opportunity to hear yourself, whether that's through like Mm -hmm. meditation or running or talking to friends or literally recording your voice and playing it back. (laughs) Because that is an, that is an awakening experience, you know? Totally. And, and some of it also boils down to, um, you know, as you said, listening to yourself and understanding, uh, what parts of you are speaking as Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of getting to that point. And that's, that's fantastic. So much of what you're talking about is about trying and doing, which are actions Mm -hmm. that you take as opposed to fear and anxiety, which are thoughts that you think. Mm -hmm. And what I keep hearing you say is that we have to act, that we have to live in our bodies and in our, in the world and not live in our minds. And Mm -hmm. when we live in our minds is when we get trapped is when we hold ourselves back. And, and I love this idea that you can try one small thing. It doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to be the best at it. You may have, you may be, end up being the worst at it, but at least you did it. At least you did something. And I can really see how you have created platforms for people to try mm-hmm. throughout your career. And I imagine in much more of your life than just your career. And I know firsthand how successful you've been at creating those platforms because I myself am a beneficiary of them. Mm -hmm. I don't 
know if you know this, Paul, but the very first place that I ever spoke publicly was at the first Bar Camp Philly that Roz organized. Oh, wow. And I was one of those people who had a lot of thoughts and a hell of a lot of opinions, but I never really said any of them or really did anything about it. And it was um, that opportunity to not have been, you know, in front of 400 people at a conference and have to submit a proposal and plan for four months some hour-long presentation and all this stuff that would have been like doing it to the fullest extent, but an unconference instead that is relaxed and allows you to do things off the cuff and experiment and take a chance and with a tremendous amount of encouragement from Roz, who hardly knew me, and from our mutual friend, Matt Nell, who had brought me there from New York that morning. I had no intention of participating. I was just going to a bunch of other sessions and supporting friends and learning interesting new information. Um, I was pretty much forced into doing it, but I guess, I guess I showed up and it opened up the rest of my life to me. I mean, I don't know where I would be had it not been for you creating that space, Roz. So keep doing what you're doing because at least for me, and I know for many other people, but I can really only speak for myself. It has had life altering outcomes. Wow. <laughs> what an honor to have been a part of that experience with you. It was truly, truly awesome. And I actually, I was thinking about when you were talking, I just wanted to say, like, I remember it was the last session of the day and um, we were trying to like wrap up the event and I don't know what was going on in the room that you were in, but you, your session went totally went over and every single person that was in there was tweeting pretty much everything that you were saying and they were just like <laughs> oh my god this is so inspiring so like there's there's no way to end an event than with something that people like literally are just like so excited about and 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 like they don't even care what time it is like they're just like wow <laughs> so that was really really awesome and that was I great. can't believe you remember that and what's actually really important that you said just a minute ago that I really want to reiterate, which is we, you don't have to be an expert and you can just be getting started and you're somewhere along the spectrum. There were plenty of people who knew more than me in that moment and that could have held me back, but there were also plenty of people who knew less and they walked into that room because they identified that there was something that I was going to speak about that they wanted to know more about. And if you don't open your mouth or you don't take the chance or you don't create what you're trying to create, you'll never find that audience. But if you do, the audience will find you. And it was a, it was a presentation, well, not a presentation. It was just a conversation on going independent. I think it was called mm. quit your job. Or something like that. Ask me anything. <laughs> oh, my God. Your memory is ridiculous. Yes. Wow. Quit your job. Ask me anything about going independent. It was 
November of 2008, and I had only left my job at the end of August. So it goes to show how little I really knew. I mean, we're, we're almost six years later. I knew so little about what it meant to be independent at the time, but you gave us a platform to share what we knew, regardless of how little it was. But it was still an opportunity to open yourself up and to share what you knew with other people. And that's part of what you have created. And I hear that it's something that you live yourself. And I think that that's what makes it so powerful. When we live what we teach, I have a very favorite uh, saying, you teach what you need to learn. And I think those of us who are teaching what we're actively going through, what we're trying to learn, it makes it so real, so authentic for the people who are hearing what you have to say. Totally agree with that. Well, Roz, I I have to say, this has been such a treat to talk with you about this topic. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, one last question, though, if people would like to follow your adventures online, uh, where should they go? You can find me on Twitter. I'm Stellar Girl. And you can also find me online at StellarGirl.com. Well, thanks again, Roz. And, and honestly, it's it's thrilling to hear that you have done so very much for so very many people. And uh, I am super excited to see what happens next for you. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait till that super secret stuff starts reaching the internet. Yes, that will be fun. Yes, it will. (laughs) Thank you again for this opportunity to share. Thank you, Roz. Thank you, Roz. Bye. All right, that brings this episode of Designing Yourself to a close. Our thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Roz Duffy, visit StellarGirl.com. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R girl.com. We appreciate your support and openness, and we will talk to you soon. Designing Yourself is hosted by Whitney Hess and Paul McAleer and is edited by Aaron Dowd. Our theme music is All Heroes by our Deacon Music Productions, with some rights reserved via Creative Commons. You can follow Whitney on Twitter at Whitney Hess, and you can follow Paul at Paul McAleer. If you like what you heard on this episode, stop by our website at designingyourself.net. You can subscribe to the show via your favorite podcasting app or via iTunes. We love to hear your feedback. So if you have an idea for a topic, a guest, or just want to say hello, you can call our listener hotline. Call 1-404-500-SELF. You can always reach us on Twitter at DesigningU, and our super secret email address is designingyourself at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.